just in Matthew chapter 5, and that we look at another beatitude. We've already considered uh, twice. Um, we've had a, a, an overview, if you like, but then the last time I was here a month ago, we looked at verse 3 of Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. This morning I want to look at verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let us bow in prayer. Father eternal, again we come to this your word, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge our faith, or our lack of faith, and may we find ourselves wanting before you that we might submit to you, that we would walk in your ways. Father, grant us that poorness and poverty of spirit within us, that more and more we would see the need of Jesus Christ in our lives. Help us to mourn our sin. Take away our pride and cause us to hunger and thirst for a knowledge of yourself. To Jesus, praise and glory. Amen. We began with blessed are the poor in spirit. And uh, we continue with blessed are those who mourn in our society and uh, some parts of the Christian church uh, take these verses to mean something that I think they mean and which our church would, uh, our own denomination would uh, argue that they mean. We're talking about a spiritual quality that places us into God's presence. We're speaking about uh, things of the spirit, things of the hearts, things of the soul of man. And though many Christians use these verses to justify the church um, feeding the poor or providing a shelter for homeless and so on and so forth, um, they forget the intrinsic meaning. There's nothing wrong with looking after the poor and the, the poverty-stricken and so on. That, that's a, a given in the scriptures. But to teach that these things speak, speak about the quality, spiritual quality of those who are in unfortunate positions and therefore that the church should do something about it, that they would be raised to a place of uh, hope uh, is simply to, to turn the gospel and message of Jesus Christ into a gospel of good works. The church today in many of its shades and forms loves good works. It makes a great deal of noise about what it's doing in our cities and all of the rest of it. And at one level, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, they rake in probably squillions, if I can use that word, of dollars from the federal government to subsidise their work. Would they do it without that? Probably not. But I want us to see this morning, not that these promote a social justice or a social order upon the church but rather that they teach us what it is and what it means to be saved these beatitudes these statements of blessing and promise uh, 
are the gospel in a nutshell. They're the gospel itself in simplicity. And this morning, happy or blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It sounds odd, doesn't it, even to our ears today as Christians, but it marks out the Christian as being unlike any unbeliever in society and in the world today. Our society generally would regard such a statement as to be ridiculous. For the only way to be happy, blessed, is to be wealthy, is to be popular, to be uh, able to do what we like with liberty and freedom and and, uh, everything that that entails. And yet the scripture says, blessed are those who mourn. We had in our congregation uh, when we were there a fair bit of suffering, of serious diseases. We had a string of car accidents in the congregation and uh, uh, cancers and uh, life-threatening ones. And um, the elders and myself wrestled with this sort of struggle. And I remember one day in a sermon after one of the car accidents, I think it was, that in spite of our bewilderment and and our heartache for those who suffer, we're still able to smile, we're still able to enjoy God in the midst of difficulty and suffering. Outwardly, we might be in tears, but inwardly, we can be smiling and laughing Not because we're a split personality. That is not the point. The point is that in our very being and within our very souls, we know that Jesus Christ has come. We know within our souls that Jesus Christ is coming. And when he does, even though we're not sure what we will be like, we know that when he comes, we shall see him as he is. And what is more, be like him. Now, that's a very wonderful comfort. You see, to know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour, to know that we have been numbered within his kingdom, to know that we have been raised and seated with him today, Ephesians chapter 2, about verse 4 or 5. To know that we have been raised and seated with him in eternity today, it doesn't matter that we don't understand that because we know we're seated in a church in Kerrang, in Victoria, in Australia, within the world, and the world and all its problems go on around us, the confidence is that the promise of Scripture is that those who believe in Jesus Christ have been raised and seated with him. And it doesn't matter what the suffering is so much, although I'm not whitewashing that. Inwardly, we know that this is not the end. This is not all that there is. We can smile inwardly and have confidence and give glory to God in the midst of Difficulty and suffering. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They are those people who have seen their sin for what it is. And understand that that sin, personal sin, the sin of Adam in the first instance, and our personal sin separates us from God Almighty. And when we see that, the scripture says through the Holy Spirit. When you see that, when you see yourself without strength, without hope, 
apart from God himself in Jesus Christ, then we are poor in spirit. We might be the most outgoing person in the world. But unless we know Jesus Christ, we don't know that we need him. It's only when we see our sin and our lack of compliance or conformity to Jesus Christ that we begin to see our need. We humble ourselves and say, Lord, I need you. For I cannot come to you in my own strength and my own wisdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But you see, what does it mean when it comes to things like this? Blessed are those who mourn. Do you mourn your sin? Are you conscious of your sin? Are you conscious that Jesus Christ has redeemed you? We read earlier on, I think it was in Romans. Verse 16, Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you have that witness within you that you are the children of God? And if that be true, then you are one who is poor in spirit. And as a consequence of that, if we are poor in spirit, we will mourn our sin. We express sorrow to God for our rebellion. And yet our society and the world at large wants to shun this notion of mourning. It tries to be wealthy, it tries to be happy, it tries to be bubbly. Watch our televisions and all the so-called TV stars that come across it. And you see the tragedy of many of their lives also across the television. They would shun, blessed are the mourn, blessed are the poor in spirit. But you see, that is a split personality because they're not dealing with the matter of, at heart. They're not dealing with their souls. And in the aftermath of popularity and wealth and stardom, we see their need though often it's too late for them. The world and our society would shun this sort of teaching. Sorrow and grief in our society are things to be avoided. One of the things that I've noticed over the last 10 or 15 years is that... um, People hate going into a church for a funeral. Might sound strange. People don't like going to a funeral and hearing about death. Many people want to just simply hear good things about the deceased and not really think about death. 
It's not a person's goodness or, uh, or uh, popularity or uh, anything like that that brings us together. The fact that we come to a funeral is because somebody has died. And that needs to be addressed. But society generally doesn't want to face up to grief and sorrow in this manner. Time after time when we were at Somerville, five minutes to the time of the start, advertised time of the start of the service, either myself or the undertaker would have to walk around in the hall which adjoined the church or into the walkway between the hall and the church where people gathered and usher them into the church in time for the service to start. Particularly when it was a non-Christian funeral. And one of the tragedies of it was that I used to just go there in my suit and and, uh, just speak with people and they assumed I was one of the undertakers and more often than not and they didn't know me and that was fine. And I would listen to men and women cursing and swearing and telling jokes that, you know. And one day I said to Heather, I've got to do something, something about this. And I didn't want to make a scene that wasn't appropriate. So one day I took my preaching gown over and threw it over the back of a seat in the entrance foyer. <laughs> And the crowds gathered, they wouldn't go into the church and they were carrying on as if nothing would happen, had happened. And at about five minutes too, I just reached around the back, picked up my gown, threw it on and that killed the atmosphere. Suddenly they realised this guy was the minister. There was embarrassment, a sense of shame. But the moment the service was out, they couldn't get outside quick enough. And they were back to their old habits. They didn't know what it was to mourn their sin and their rebellion. Now, it's true that to mourn... sickness and pain and suffering bereavement to mourn material loss wounded pride personal invasion and all of these sorts of things these are not excluded here that's true but they are not the sole reason that is spoken of here it's a different kind of mourning it's it's right that we mourn our illnesses particularly serious ones It's right that we sorrow in pain. It's right that we grieve bereavement or loss of property or whatever it might be. When we were at college, we had a couple of children, we think, broke into our house while we were away. (laughs) I climbed a wall about six or eight feet tall and climbed in an open kitchen window and pinched some coins that was sitting on a microwave, I think. And we got the police to come around and um, they couldn't find anything. They they didn't take anything else except probably about 40, 50, maybe 60 cents. But what's our reaction? 
we mourned that because we felt invaded, that somebody had done something to us, uh, our privacy had been taken away. It's right to mourn those things and feel something for them. But if we understand this to be speaking of these things alone, we miss the point of the gospel of Christ. Not all sorrow leads to eternal life. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 says this. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. It's not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. You see, to mourn our sin produces life. But if we just feel sorry... for this or that or we mourn our bereavements or our material loss and that alone without reference to the Lord then it leads to death that's the tragedy of the world it's the tragedy of the greater faiths of the world they don't know forgiveness they don't understand that there is a God who came to earth to pay the penalty of their sin. And the faiths of this world, apart from Christianity, simply slave, enslave themselves in order to earn merit. And all they have to do is re- receive the gift of grace. To mourn, listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. 119 and verse and. 36. The psalmist says, Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. You see, we can mourn our own sin, but here the psalmist is mourning the sin of his own people, Israel. Psalm 119, verse 136. Rivers of water run down from my eyes. You see his mourning, you see his sorrow, it's outward. He's expressing something of, that's going on in his own soul. He's the king of Israel and Israel is rebelling. And he's in tears and sorrow. He's mourning because Israel does not keep the word of God. Remember when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he wept over it. Why? Because he knew it was going to be destroyed because of its sin. Jesus was taken to the grave of Lazarus and he wept. And it wasn't a weeping out of the fact that somebody had died. But it was a weeping because he knew that the world was lost. And that death would overtake them. That there would be no hope. He was about to raise Lazarus. 
He knew that. We know that from the scriptures. So it wasn't Lazarus' death that was the immediate problem. He was grieving and weeping because death is the consequence of sin. Jesus was weeping for his people Israel. And I wonder today whether at times we think too much of ourselves and our own discomforts. We may well mourn our sin. But do we mourn the sin of our nation? Do we mourn the sin of our nation when it wants to remove the name of God from our constitution? Do we mourn the sin of our nation when it wants to elevate homosexual marriage? Do we mourn the sin of our nation when it removes laws for good and replaces them with laws that allow sin to abound? Abound. Allah the poking machines for argument's sake. Do we mourn the sin of a nation when it allows its Prime Minister to live in an unmarried state? Do we mourn the sin of our nation? when we allow her partner to travel overseas with her and sit at the table with world leaders, as we just saw on television, or I noticed it last night. Do we mourn these things, the sin of a nation? That's also involved here. It's not just our personal mourning, but there is the broader thing where the Christian church, in the name of Jesus Christ, ought to mourn the sin of the nation in which it finds itself. What's the character of a Christian thinking biblically? Often you hear, and I was told numerous times throughout my time in a parish, (laughs) that God must laugh at us and laugh with us. But do you know there's not one reference in the scriptures where Jesus Christ is said to laugh? God himself is said to laugh. In uh, Psalm 2, you can read it. And I think there's one other reference to him laughing. And both of them are places where it describes his, his uh, uh, ridicule of human sin and greed. And where he laughs and scoffs at human rebellion. We're told often in the scriptures when we think about Jesus Christ that he hungered. He knew what it was to go without food. He knew what it was to go without water. He knew what it was to get angry. And I realize that one of the things we've got to be careful of, particularly as preachers, is that we shouldn't base any argument upon silence. 
But nowhere in the scriptures in the New Testament is Jesus said to laugh. Isaiah said that he was to be a man of sorrows, one acquainted with grief. Isaiah also said that his appearance would be so marred that no one would look upon him. Jesus wasn't a television personality. He'd never make it on the television screen. He wasn't good looking enough. People followed him for his, the miracles that he did. But as he challenged them, they turned away. He wasn't an attractive personality. He didn't have a charismatic uh, character about him. In John chapter 8 and verse 57, if you read that carefully, it suggests there that Jesus looked much older than what he actually was. He was just a shade over 30 years old when John wrote in 857. But they're describing him there as 50 years old. So he looked much older than what he actually was, possibly. Jesus knew what it was to weep. I've already mentioned Lazarus. And he wept over Jerusalem. And human sin was the reason. But there's no laughter. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't laugh, that we shouldn't enjoy one another's company. That's not the point of the text at all today. We shouldn't walk around with long faces, as often Presbyterians are accused of doing. Paul in Romans 7 says we're to be more like him you know, he finishes up in verse 24 of Romans 7 and he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You see, that's what it is to mourn. That's what it is to mourn our sin. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? Now, Paul was a man who knew what it was to be wealthy, he knew what it was to live in poverty. He knew what it was to live in freedom and liberty. And he also, probably when he wrote Romans, certainly when he wrote Ephesians and a few of the other letters to us, uh, he was in prison in chains. And in those days when you were in prison and in chains, nobody fed you. Unless you had a relative or a friend who could keep up with where you were in the jail system, you went hungry. And yet he never complains. Rather, he concludes, doesn't he? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? They shall be comforted. Let's just think about that just for a couple of minutes. They shall be comforted. It's a paradox. Mourners, happy. Mourners, satisfied. When sorrow or grief or something has overtaken you, do you ever feel happy? We don't. 
We can feel wretched. The person who feels the sting of sin is a person who's going to repent and indeed is already repenting or has repented. The one who repents as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in them will be led to the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore to salvation. If we mourn our sin, we will rejoice. That's the blessing because we have confidence that Jesus Christ is our Saviour and our Lord and that he came and that he died for us and that he is coming again and then we shall be like him. And yet what of the person who doesn't believe these things? They live in a world that leads to death. There is no other way. Either we believe and mourn, we believe in Jesus Christ and therefore mourn our sin and our rebellion and live, they shall be comforted, live eternally or we die in our sin, lost from the love of God eternally. Amen.